The sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. These are verses that describe the faith of Abraham and Sarah, their trust that God would bless them with a large family, just as he promised. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, as we read these verses and we Consider scripture as a whole, we know as Christians that God has given us many promises in his word. The Bible is full of numerous promises to those who trust in Christ, those who are the children of God. J.C. Ryle, he quoted here, there's a quote from one of his books in our bulletin. It's there on the first page inside cover. J.C. Ryle, he was a British minister in the 1800s, and in this quote, he lists many of the promises that God gives us in his word. He says, in the Bible, we find promises about God's infinite mercy and his compassion to us, uh, to us, his children. We find promises about his readiness to receive all who repent and believe, about his willingness to forgive, pardon, and absolve even the worst of sinners. We receive promises about his power to change hearts and to alter our corrupt nature, about the encouragement to pray and hear the gospel and draw near to the throne of grace because we will surely be received through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive promises about strength for duty, comfort in trouble, guidance in perplexity, help in sickness, consolation in death, support under bereavement, happiness beyond the grave, reward in glory. About all these things, there is an abundant supply of promises in the Word of God. Loved ones, we know this, don't we? If we're familiar with the Scriptures, if we are in the Scriptures Consistently, we see these promises given to us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to ask this morning, what are we to do when it seems like these things are not true for us? When we uh, feel like God's infinite mercy and compassion is not for us, uh, though we may be trusting in Christ. When we feel in those difficult moments of life as we are struggling in sanctification, we have that sense that we're not progressing. We feel that God is not working by his Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to alter our corrupt nature. When it seems like that promise isn't really working itself out in our lives. What do we do when we lack strength to obey God? When there seems to be no comfort in trouble or help in sickness or consolation 
in death. When, what are we to do when it seems like God's promises are not being fulfilled in our lives? There is this phrase in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 11 that encapsulates what our response must be. We read that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. You and I are to learn from Abraham, we are to learn from Sarah to, as we see in our first point, trust the promise keeper. Because Abraham and Sarah's response in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, was to continue trusting in God and not in their circumstances. Why did they continue to trust in God? Well, we read, because they considered him faithful. Because they believed that he would fulfill his promises to them, that he was an oath keeper. He was and is a a promise keeper. And because they knew his character, that God does not lie, that he is true and trustworthy, because they knew God, they continued to trust in him. Loved ones, this is who our God is. He is true. He is trustworthy. You know, in a world that is propped up by lies and by deceit and superficiality and corruption, what we see with God is that he stands apart, that he is completely different from the world around us, that he is true and trustworthy and faithful. And Abraham and Sarah believed this about God, and they trusted in him. Now, throughout the sermon, I'm going to uh, use the names of Abraham and Sarah, uh, even though we know that their names were changed later on in Genesis, but we're going to be referring back and forth in the text, so it'll just be Abraham and Sarah this morning for the most part. And also, throughout the sermon, uh, I'll refer to both Abraham and Sarah as they trusted in God's promise of a large family, even though you may have noticed there in verse 11 that the text, uh, especially in the ESV, refers only to Sarah. There is uh, some question as to who the subject of the verse is because of how the Greek is structured. You know, is the subject Abraham or Sarah? So what we're going to do this morning is to consider them together because we'll see there in verse 11 also, you know, Abraham is taken into account. We're going to consider them together because, you know, as they say, it takes two to tango, right? And so this promise of an heir is given not just to Abraham, but to Abraham and Sarah because the promise would be fulfilled through both of them. In fact, as you read Genesis chapter, chapters 12 through 23, we see that both Abraham and Sarah, in a sense, are in the spotlight, They're both featured as they're both working to understand God and remain faithful to God and to obey God and to trust God as he is showing himself faithful uh, to them and to keeping his promises. And as we consider Abraham and Sarah, one of the mistakes that we can do, especially in considering all those listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 in this hall of faith, is to kind of put these people on a pedestal and to think of them as more perfect uh, than they actually were. And as you know, you know, the more you read 
the Bible and you really get into the lives of these heroes of the faith, you see that many of them were far from perfect. They had true faith, but their true faith was sometimes weaker and sometimes stronger at various moments in their lives. Um, You know, what we learn from Abraham and Sarah is that true faith holds on to the promise of God, but we learn that true faith may sometimes falter, can sometimes grow weak for periods in the believer's life. When we meet Abraham in Genesis, Abraham is 75 years old when he receives the promise, the dual promise of land and a family. And we read that he received them in faith. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Promise is first given there in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. We read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This promise goes out to Abraham. You will be a father of a nation. But we read just a few verses before this promise, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, these words that Sarai, Abraham's wife, was barren. She had no child. See, God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation, and yet we read that his wife was barren. She could have no children. So the question is, would this promise ever come to pass? God restates the promise in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. And he makes the promise very, very clear to Abraham. We read, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, just a little aside here. Eliezer was a servant in Abraham's household, and it was common in that day that if a couple did not have children, that their estate would pass to one of their servants, right? And this was something that Abram was willing to settle for, right? To, in a sense, you know, this is what he was thinking. I remain childless. You gave me, you've given me this problem, but this uh, promise, but Sarah remains barren. Is my estate now going to pass to Eliezer of Damascus, Lord? Is that, is that how this is all going to work out? We continue reading in verse 3 of Genesis 15. And Abraham, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we read in verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, loved ones, find in Abraham true faith, saving faith. Abraham believed the Lord. He trusted God to fulfill his promise of 
giving him an heir, an heir who would be a blessing to the whole world. But we also read, as we work our way through Genesis, that after God gave Abraham the promise, years began to pass. And as years passed, uh, Sarah was not getting pregnant. And, you know, as time passed, both Abraham and Sarah began to have difficulty believing God's ability and his willingness to do what he had promised. Year after year went by, and there was no child. The question was, where was God? Had he forgotten about them? Would his promise ever come to pass? We read in Genesis 16 that about 10 years after God first gave Abraham the promise uh, that Sarah, Sarah had an idea. And her idea, we read in Genesis 16, was to try to achieve or to fulfill God's promise uh, through their own actions, through their own abilities. In a sense, Sarah wanted to take matters into her own hands. And her plan was simple. Since she couldn't get pregnant, Abraham should take one of their servants, Hagar, and have a child with her. And as we read in Genesis 16, it seems like Abraham didn't put up much of a fight. All we read in Genesis 16, verse 2, is that Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So what we see is that they're both culpable. See, they're, they're both guilty in this misstep of faith. Doesn't this uh, remind you of Adam and Eve? Eve said to her husband, eat this. And Adam said, okay, honey. Right? They're both guilty, right? Yeah, Abraham, Adam, just kind of went along with it. We know from Genesis 16 that Hagar ultimately did get pregnant, and she bore Abraham a son, and his name was Ishmael. You know, but that wasn't to be the son of the promise, because the son of the promise would come through Sarah. It would come through God's extraordinary work, not through man's sinful plans. And so what we see with Abraham and Sarah is their momentary hesitation of faith here. They were in it together. Both were struggling in their faith. See, they had true faith, saving faith, but you see that it was mixed with periods of discouragement and often more questions than answers. And it's important to note that you know, neither of them at any moment had a deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust toward God and his promises. But they did go through these seasons of difficulty. And even the first is that we read during our, our first reading this morning from Genesis chapter 17 through Genesis chapter 18, even those verses reveal how both Abraham and Sarah laughed about the improbability of Sarah ever having a child. Abraham uh, summed up the seeming impossibility of it all when God restated his promise to Abraham there in Genesis chapter 17 beginning of verse 15. We read, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, 
but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, accept Ishmael. We won't hold out for something greater than this. This this is fine. Abraham was willing to settle at this point. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Loved ones, what we learn from Abraham and Sarah is that our faith must be directed outside ourselves and onto the Lord. We we live in a culture, a culture that emphasizes uh, and teaches us to believe in ourselves, to trust in ourselves. But the Bible says something completely different. It's a completely countercultural message, right? The Bible says, distrust yourself, distrust your feelings, and believe in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. This is what Abraham and Sarah learned. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, that over time they learned more and more to consider him faithful who had promised. That as they grew and as they matured in their faith, they learned to lean more and more upon God. See, their faith, though weak at times, read in Scripture, was always ultimately in the Lord. And so when it seems like God's promises, loved ones, are not being fulfilled in our lives, what we must continue to do is to trust in the promise keeper, to lean more and more on God. We are to trust in the promise keeper. Secondly, we are to learn to be patient. Learn to be patient. One of the greatest challenges in Abraham and Sarah's faith was the time that passed between when God made the promise of an heir to the time that Isaac was actually born. Isaac, who was Abraham and Sarah's son. We read in Genesis that it took years, decades, before Abraham and Sarah saw the fulfillment of the promise. We read, we consider the timeline. We read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, that Abraham was 75 years old when God gave his promise. And then Abraham, at 75, left his homeland for the promised land, believing that God would give him a land, and would make him into a great nation. Abraham, at that time, was 75 years old. And years passed, and we read that there was still no child. Sarah remained barren. We read that when Abraham was 86 years old, 75 to 86, children, I'm sure you're starting to do the math here, right? That's when Ishmael was born through Hagar. But we know, as we said, that that wasn't to be the fulfillment of God's promise. So I'm going to read for us from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, just 
a few verses to show you and to sharpen our sense of the timeline here. We read in Genesis 17, beginning of verse 1, that when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Are you doing the math? Receive the promise at 75. At 99, God shows up and he is going to restate his promise to Abram again. Continuing in verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And we read, Genesis 21, verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The promise came when he was 75. Loved ones, when was it fulfilled? When he was 100 years old. 25 years passed between the promise and the fulfillment. 25 years, long years of waiting, of wondering how and when this thing would actually happen, when the promise would actually be fulfilled, of going through days of difficulty and of distress and of doubt and of discouragement. And it's interesting if we think about Abraham and Sarah's misstep of faith with Hagar, with their servant. You know, when that happened, Abraham was 86 years old. That's when Ishmael was born. And in Genesis, we look at the timeline again. The next time God talked to Abraham was when he was 99 years old. Ishmael was born when he was 86. The next time, what we see in the text is that God spoke to Abraham when he was 99 years old. So there seems to be this period of about 13 years after Ishmael was born, this period of silence, when God seemed to be absent. Can you imagine how uncomfortable those years must have been as Abraham and Sarah were arguing? We really messed this up. We took matters into our own hands, and look, it seems that God has completely forsaken us. Can you imagine the painful conversations those many years, those 13 years between Abraham and Sarah? Yet what we see in the text, loved ones, is that their missteps, their failures, their weaknesses did not annul or cancel out God's promise. Why? Because the promise rested on God's faithfulness and not on their own abilities and not on their own strengths and not on their own faithfulness. God had made a promise and he ratified that promise in Genesis 15 on his own name. He promised on his own life that he would bring this about. And because he made that promise, it was God who would cause it to come to to pass. But what Abraham and Sarah needed to learn in the meantime, and what you and I need to learn, loved ones, is how to be patient. God will accomplish what he has promised. But we see in Scripture over and over 
that he will do it according to his timeline. He will do it according to his wisdom. We can ask this morning, why would God make Abraham and Sarah wait so long to see the fulfillment? Why did it take God 25 years to allow Isaac, to cause Isaac to be born? I believe, loved ones, it's because the more time that passed, the greater sense of the miracle, of the miraculous nature of what God accomplished in Abraham and Sarah's life. See, the more time that passed, God's power was more and more on display in the fulfillment of the promise. If Isaac would have been born when Abraham was 75, uh, right when Abraham received the promise, you know, it would have been extraordinary, but it would not have seemed as miraculous as when Abraham was 100. And Sarah was, we read in the text, well past her ability to have children. By making them wait, God was teaching Abraham and Sarah that the thing would be impossible by human standards, would be impossible to accomplish by human means. If it was going to happen, God would have to do it. God himself would have to bring it about. So loved ones, when God makes us wait, what he is doing is he is teaching us. He's teaching us to rely on him more and more, to lean into him more and more. You know, when we're young, we feel uh, unstoppable, right? uh, powerful. We feel perhaps smart, uh, full of life and energy. Uh, but as time passes, we begin to really see how corrupt we are, how imperfect, how fragile, how weak. Marriage really brings us out. Being a mother and a father really brings us out. Having children, you realize how impatient you are and how little you know about life and how much you continually need to rely on God and to lean on God and not upon your own understanding. You know, when I was in college, I was 19, I remember I used to listen to a radio show where people would call pastors and ask them questions. And uh, I would listen every day. And I would sit there, listen to the radio. Sometimes I'd be working. And I would listen to the way the pastors were answering the questions, questions, you know, about the Bible, about church, about life. And I would, I was 19, and I would sit and I would critique the pastor's answers. And I would honestly think to myself, you know, they should invite me on that radio show because I could give such great answers, better answers than uh, those guys on the radio. Yikes, right? That's what I believed then. But over the years, I've realized how little I actually know. Over the years, God has humbled me more and more. Over the years, I've realized my foolishness, uh, my immaturity, my self-reliance, my own faults and weaknesses, right? Over time, loved ones, we learn to trust ourselves less and to trust God more and more, learning to lean on him and not on our own understanding. Now, this is what I believe happened with Abraham and Sarah, that it was in waiting year after year 
after exhausting their own resources and, and trying to fulfill God's promises on their own, that they learn we can't do this. God must do this. Loved ones, when we lean on God, patiently trusting in his faithfulness, we read that he will reward us, as we see in point three. Abraham and Sarah received a great reward. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham's reward in his lifetime, the reward that Sarah received as well, was the birth of Isaac, right, the promised son. But what we learn about Abraham is that as he looked upon his son Isaac, he knew that fulfillment had come, but that there was more fulfillment to be seen. That as he looked upon Isaac, he knew that there was a greater fulfillment. In a sense, he was able to look through Isaac to the greater thing that God would accomplish in the fullness of time. Because what we read in the New Testament is that Abraham believed God not just to bring about the birth of a son, but Abraham believed in God's bringing about the promise of a Savior who would redeem the world. The Lord Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 56, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. The Lord Jesus speaking there about Abraham. He saw it and was glad. The Lord Jesus there assuring us that Abraham was graciously granted saving faith and that by it he was enabled to live in confident faith that God would fulfill his promises not just in his lifetime but for an eternity. Abraham was looking forward to Christ. What we see in Abraham's life, loved ones, is the faithfulness of God that God was and is faithful. And we see the blessings that we receive through Christ, the promised Son. And children, uh, those of you who attend Sunday school here, you know that you're probably familiar with the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons and daughters had Father Abraham. We could even add to that Mother Sarah. Because again, it takes two to tango. Uh, The question is, you know, how are you a son and a daughter of Abraham? How am I a daughter or a son of Abraham? Are we all related to them by blood? If we were to do a family tree on one of these Ancestry.com websites, would we all go back to Abraham? Is that what the song is pointing us to? Is that what the scripture is indicating about our, uh, our, our uh, unique father in Abraham? Uh, no, loved ones. What the relation is speaking of there is that we are related to Abraham in Christ because Jesus is the promised offspring that was promised to Abraham that the birth of Isaac merely pointed forward to. So that all those who belong to Christ are Abraham's offspring, says the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3. All those who belong to Christ are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And this is why in the Gospel of Matthew and of Luke, both Gospels show the genealogy that traces from Christ back to Abraham. Both are underlining the fact that Jesus was a descendant of 
Abraham, that he was Abraham's son. So as we consider how this applies to us today, we do receive blessings through Christ as were the blessings that were promised to Abraham. But as we consider also, loved ones, this morning, that we in many ways are like Sarah and Abraham. We live in the age of fulfillment. Much has changed because we know that Christ has come. You and I live in the new age that Christ has ushered in. But we live like Abraham and Sarah because we know that there is more to be fulfilled. We await Christ's return. We await our glorification, our full and final freedom from sin. When Jesus ascended into heaven, we read in Acts chapter 1, as he was ascending, um, an angel came and spoke to the disciples and said, why do you stand up here looking into heaven? Jesus, the one you see going up, is going to come back the same way that you see him leaving now. So loved ones, what are we to do? What are we to do in this time as we await his return? We are to do as Abraham and Sarah did. Trust in the promise keeper, wait patiently, and trust that ours will be a great reward as well. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for the many promises in your word that we can scarcely finish a page of the scripture and not see how you are extending goodness to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and blessing and favor. We thank you that we daily experience your blessings and that we can await so much more in the life to come. We pray that you would work in our hearts, teaching us to be patient, Lord, teaching us to trust in you and not to trust in ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that as Abraham looked to Christ, believed in Christ, and trusted in Christ, that you would cause us to do the same. You would direct our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.